1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, everyone. Once again, welcome to Providence. Uh, Thanks for being here and making us a part of your week. Uh, My name is Eric Ripley. Uh, If you don't know me, I serve as the Director of Missions and Outreach, and I'm very excited to start this sermon series today. Um, And so, like you said, we'll be in 1 John. We'll be going through 1 John for a lot of the fall, uh, and we're going to be talking about some things that we'll get into here in uh, just a moment. What I'd like to do this morning is I would like to give us just a general overview of 1 John, Uh, just talk a little bit about what is this book, why was it written, uh, who is the author, and uh, why we should pay attention to the words that are in here. Uh, And as we kind of talk about that, I think um, it will kind of make a little more sense. But generally, I want to say that uh, the topic, uh, which we we, we named this series, uh, Light and Love, right, Anchored, uh, the... uh, Sorry, what was it? I can't remember this. The anchored life, that's what it was. I was going to say something else. The anchored life of the people of God. Uh, And what we're talking about is this assurance of faith. So if you talk talk about the concept of an anchor, right? An anchor is dropped down to the the sea floor and holds the ship in place, right? It's steady. It's secure. It's not going anywhere. And for us as Christians, we believe that we have an anchor, for our faith, right, for our souls. We have this assurance that we are in Jesus Christ and we will be forever. And that's a big, bold statement. And we wanna talk about in this series what that looks like. How does that happen? What does that even mean? And we wanna flesh this out. I think it's so important because I think generally in the West, in our Christian culture, well, this is a little weird the way we kind of deal with assurance. I feel like if I was to poll maybe many of you, you might kind of feel like, well, some days... When I'm really good and I feel like I'm just taking on the world, I feel pretty confident that uh, you know, the Lord loves me, that I'm doing good in this whole Christian thing. And there may be days where you're not doing that. Maybe you don't feel as good about your life, about your um, ability to obey Christ and be like him. Then maybe you feel uh, lost. You feel like maybe this isn't true. Maybe I'm a sham, etc. And so the book of 1 John is going to bring these things up, I think, in a very powerful and unique and good way for us. Uh, so 1 John uh, was written by John. Uh, there is a little bit of debate about that because he doesn't start off saying, hey, I'm John. But it seems pretty clear with the themes that he hits because also he does a lot of the same things, a lot of the same verbiage and context in the Gospel of John. And it was pretty well uh, known throughout church history that John had written this letter. Uh, he wrote it in Ephesus around AD 80 to AD 95, so a long time ago. And he wrote it to churches all throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so John is writing about assurance to these churches and about the anchor we have for our faith. Now, John was a really cool character. You read about him in the Bible. He referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, as if Jesus didn't love anyone else, right? He was pretty 
confident, right, when people didn't listen to Christ or want to uh, obey him and love him like he did, he would ask Jesus things like, can I call fire down from heaven to burn them up, right? And so he was zealous for God. He cared about God. He cared about um, Jesus. And he also has, he's written some of my favorite texts. One of my favorite ones is is in his gospel, right? And he's writing and he talks about this story when Mary comes and says, you know, Jesus is is risen, right? The tomb is empty. Uh, He's not there anymore. And it says that him, uh, who he refers to himself once again as the disciple whom Jesus loved, so it's not prideful, right? Uh, Him and Peter begin taking off on a foot race, basically, towards the tomb to see if it's true. And John acknowledges in the sacred text of your Bible that he beat Peter in the foot race. It's so funny. Uh, He says, basically, like the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, got there first, and then Peter followed afterwards, right? So he's uh, bragging in our scriptures about winning a race. And so John is a unique character, but nonetheless, uh, we can see John's devotion, his love for Jesus Christ, his experience with Jesus Christ that anchored him in Jesus himself. Uh, and so if anyone has the merit and the right to talk about it, it is him. Um, and that's who John is. So just a, a quick, I guess the best way I can do this, I wanna give you four main reasons that John has written this book. And John's always clear in his books of why he's writing them. He does this in uh, John chapter 20 in the Gospel of John. He does this in Revelation 1. He's always saying, hey, I'm writing this because of this. And in the book of 1 John, he gives four main reasons. And then I wanna talk about three kind of repetitive themes. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I just wanna set us up uh, as we listen to this book, as we kind of read through and go through this sermon series that we would be thinking about uh, why it was written. Uh, because that's important, right? If you know why something is written, then you can better uh, understand it, right? You can better read it and comprehend it. So uh, four reasons that John gives. Uh, first is in 1 John 1, 4. He says this, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John 2, 1 says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John two twenty six. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And John 5, 13, uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So in summary, uh, a guy named uh, Daniel Aiken, he wrote a commentary on this and he says this. He said, um, John is writing this book to promote uh, full joy in the family of God, prevent sin in the family of God, to protect from false teachers in the family of God and to provide assurance in the family of God. So these are the four main reasons that John wrote this book. It was that we would have assurance of faith, fullness of joy, that we'd be aware of and avoid false teaching and that we would not sin. This is why John is writing this book. And within that, there's some major themes you're gonna see that he repeats over and over and over again for us, and it's these three things. Um, One is that we need to believe rightly in Jesus Christ. Uh, We need to have right obedience to God's commands, and we need to have right love for one another. And so in this book, generally, John is giving us a black and white Uh, picture, if you will, of what it looks like to be in Christ, to have life in Christ, and then what it looks like to be outside of Christ. John doesn't leave much of a gray area here. He gives us what is true obedience, what is true love for one another, 
and, and what is true belief in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, so these are just things to think about uh, and why he's writing them. We'll talk about the first one today. Uh, but I just want to keep that in mind as we kind of read through. Uh, and so in talking about assurance, uh, Daniel Aiken also says this about the text. He says, by repeatedly applying these avenues of assurance, which is the things John will discuss, John will expose those who profess Christ but do not know him. And he will assure those who know Christ but may have doubts about their salvation. In other words, it is possible to know Christ and have doubts. It is also possible to profess Christ and be a liar. Um, and so our prayer is that we, as the people of God, would gain assurance that we're in the family of God for the glory of God. That's our prayer through this series. So um, to be clear, John paints this picture and it does those two things that Daniel Aiken talked about here. It does an exposing of the imposter and a uh, revealing and assuring of the child of God uh, is what it does. And so um, in general, like... There's no like reason, like, there's no desire to want to cause doubt unnecessarily in some people. But the most gracious thing God could ever do to us in his word is expose our hearts and show us where we are, who we really are, and who he really is, and unite us with him in that very act. And so that's our prayer today. Uh, that's where we're going. And so if you wouldn't mind, let's pray together. And I want to remind us that... Um, when we get into the Bible every time, it's always good to be reminded that what we are doing is a serious thing, okay? It doesn't mean it's not a happy thing or a fun thing or a joyful thing, but it is a serious thing. Uh, we don't listen to God's word and pray about God's word and read God's word in a, in a flippant way, right? We, we love this. We cherish it. We get to read it. People have died all throughout the ages for this book, and we long to look into it and see what God has to say for us. And so let's pray together uh, to that end. You can bow your heads with me. Um, Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We, we prayerfully and humbly come right now and say, that we could do nothing good apart from you and we can't understand your word rightly without you revealing it to us by your spirit. And that is our prayer. God, we wanna be attentive. We wanna be earnest. We wanna be passionate about listening and receiving from your word because it is in your word that we are changed forever and ever and we become more like you, Jesus Christ. God, throughout this series, would you do the gracious work of exposing our hearts and allowing us, God, to see where we truly are with you. We don't want to pretend. God, pretending is a dead end road that does not lead to joy. God, we want to be real, and, and we want to be authentic, and we want to know you and the power of your resurrection. And so, God, would you do that for all of us? Would you bring us out of doubt, out of misery, into true and everlasting assurance that we are yours that we are cared for, we are loved. And we ask that you would do this um, by your power. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, I just wanna walk through, there's really four major things in this text that I think will set the series for the, set the, I guess, for the rest, set us up for the rest of the series, if you will. Um, and um, I'm just gonna kind of walk through them. So let's read verses one through two together one more time, uh, and then we'll go through, unpack some of this. So John says, um, that which was from the beginning which we have heard and we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you 
the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So the first thing that John is doing here, I put it this, I put life in Christ is only found in Christ. Now it seems a little bit redundant and I did that purposefully, okay? What John is doing, and he does this at the beginning of the Gospel of John as well, is John is painting a right and true and big picture of who Jesus Christ is. If we are anchored in Jesus Christ, if he is the anchor, then we can't have the anchor without Jesus Christ, right? So true life in Christ that uh, is assured, that is steady, that is anchored, is in Christ. And I love this because John is not shy about Jesus Christ being God. John is pointing out here that he thinks it is essential that we believe that, rejoice in that, and hold to that truth. There are many Christian, air quotes, teachings that say Christ is not God, but maybe was a good man. Christ is not God, but maybe he was a prophet sent by God and super righteous and holy prophet that saved us. But the issue is, uh, if if you make Jesus to be anything other than God, self-existing, always has, was never created, has always been, and it will always be for eternity, then what you do is you rob the strength, you rob the anchor, you rob the uh, foundation of the gospel, right? Which is that Jesus Christ, being God, had always been God, will always be God, became also man, and he was born on this earth. He lived the life that we could never, ever live on our own. And then he died the death that we deserved. He rose from the grave, resurrected bodily, physically, and he is alive forever and now has the authority over death and the authority to rescue us. This is a big deal. Christ is God. And John is clear about this. That's why he said, that which was from the beginning or that which was with the Father. He's saying that to, to, to anchor Jesus to be equal on par with God the Father. He's not just a mere offspring, if you will. He is very God of very God, as the old creed says, right? He is God. And this is important because that's how we are saved. But not only that, he's also emphasizing the humanity of Jesus Christ. So we get this weird, somewhat of a paradox, right? Where God is, uh, or Jesus is fully God, and he is fully man. It doesn't make sense if you try to do the math, but 100% plus 100% equals 100%, okay? That's how that works, okay? And so uh, what he's pointing out here, look at the, some of the verbiage. He says, uh, we've seen him with our eyes. We've touched him with our hands. We've heard him, right? He was made manifest to us, which means we've, we've, we've really experienced and, and seen him. And what John is doing here is he's pointing out that physically, really, Not mystically and spiritually, but physically, for real, Jesus Christ was here. We've touched him. We've felt him. We've heard him. We've been in the same room as him. John even was leaning on his chest at the Last Supper, right? So these disciples experienced who God was. And this is important. So right around this time, there was this teaching that was developing called Gnosticism. Just sounds really cool to say. You can say it later if you want, okay? But Gnosticism uh, just basically means knowledge is what it kind of means in Greek. And it was this big, um, there was a lot of offshoots of Gnosticism everywhere. There's kind of all these different things that people believe. But at the core, Gnostic people believe two main things. And that was this. One, they believe that physical things, physical matter was evil, or at least not nearly as important as spiritual things. 
And so they basically would abandon all physical gain. You know, they, would, they didn't want money. They didn't want homes, all that kind of stuff. They were pretty extreme in some cases. But they thought that all the physical things were just bad. They weren't important. The other thing they believed is that true salvation was achieved through some mystical, uh, secretive knowledge that you could obtain in your inner being. So this is kind of how you were saved. And, and uh, this was even kind of a, sometimes tied into Christ spiritually and awkward with some false teaching. But uh, they, they would use terminology like the inner light within you. If you can realize the inner light within you, then you can be saved, which sounds like a lot of what you might hear on an average television show now. It's kind of new age stuff, right? So it's not new. Everything's kind of been recreated and repackaged to deceive us. But John is, is seeing this happen and he's responding to what's going on here, this false teaching. And he even mentions that, right? He's trying to keep them from false teaching that's going on. And he's trying to explain to us that Jesus was really physically here, right? Even some of the disciples got to touch his wounds after he resurrected like Thomas, right? Like Jesus was here. And this is just as vitally important as Christ being God that he physically was here and he physically resurrected. If Christ did not physically resurrect but just spiritually resurrected, then we have no anchor of our future resurrection, right? Christ resurrecting shows physically that he conquered death. If death took him and he could not rise again in his body physically but merely spiritually, that proves nothing about death being conquered and our sins being forgiven. But because Christ was physically, they touched him, they felt him even after his resurrection, he was here, he ever experienced him, he is alive forevermore, and therefore, if we are in Christ, we are alive forevermore. That matters. It matters a lot, and that's why he continues to write about it. But the truth is, um, it's offensive, right? Being fully God and fully man and us having to follow him. And John Piper said this uh, in the mid-'80s. He had a sermon. He was preaching on this, and he said, Many are willing to believe in Christ if he remains a merely spiritual reality. But when we preach that Christ has become a particular man in a particular place, issuing particular commands and dying on a particular cross, exposing the particular sins of our particular lives, then the preaching ceases to be acceptable for many. You see the difference here? Like if we say, which is what most modern people will maybe somewhat believe, uh, is that Christ is a really unique and cool and loving and awesome spiritual reality that says, if you believe in him, right, you got like a whole eternity to look forward with him, right? Like you're safe, it brings security, it brings good morals. Generally, as a spiritual reality, that's cool, man. What's true for you, it's awesome, it's working for you. What works for me, works for me, we're all good, right? We're all climbing up the same mountain, we're gonna get to the peak eventually, and we're all gonna shake hands when we get to the top, right? Uh, but if you say that Christianity means Jesus Christ is God, he has... Uh, Basically, conquered death. He has control over everything. He created you and could kill you in an instant. And also, uh, he commands your perfect obedience. He commands your obedience and now your whole life, your future career, what you're going to do tomorrow, your moral standards, what you do with your money, and you can keep going on and filling in the blank, when you die, etc. It's all in his control, and he commands obedience. Now, that's offensive right? Because now you went from an autonomous, I can do what I want, I am my own being, I'm my own God, right? You went from that to you're totally not in control, and you got to obey what Christ said. And think about the words of Jesus as we read the New Testament, right? He said, if you don't love 
me more than your father, right? He says you basically got to hate your father, your mother, your spouse, your children, right? And, and anyone who doesn't do that, if you love any of those people more than me, then you're not worthy of me. Jesus said you have to lay down your life or you'll, um, you'll, you'll, you'll lose it. But if you will lay down your life, then you'll, you'll, you'll gain it, right? And, and so Jesus gives these, these words that are just, if you just gloss over them, you're like, what did I just read? Jesus literally said, I want all of your life. I want it now. That's offensive if you don't know Christ, right? If you do know Christ, then you understand that is the absolute most joyful and safest place I could ever be is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But he commands it, and we must obey. We must follow him. We must go after him. We must abandon, potentially, any hope uh, of this life, of the gains that we desired before we met Christ. It's all, it's all loss compared to knowing him, right? So uh, Christ uh, being who he is is so important because we can't worship our idea of Christ, right? To be anchored I can't be anchored to some mystical thought about who Jesus is, right? I want to be anchored to the real Christ, the real Christ, the resurrected Christ, the victorious Christ, the God-man, Jesus Christ. That is where we want to be anchored because that is the only real anchor. Everything else fails. And John is just painting this beautiful picture of who he is. And he's saying, I got proof. I've experienced it. I've tasted it. He's real. Which leads me to my next point, which in the same verses, I get the second point I wanted to follow up with, which is life in Christ begins in experience. Now, I know when we talk about experience uh, spiritually, it can get a little crazy, okay? I grew up in a, a small town, Pentecostal church in Moundsville, West Virginia, and I experienced some weird things, okay? I was like five years old on the prayer team. I didn't even know what I was doing, and I would just get up there, and people would come up to me that were like 40, and I'd pray for them, I don't know what I was saying. I was also afraid to pray out loud. It's just a weird scenario, right? But then all of a sudden, something crazy would happen, and you know, you've seen some weird manifestations maybe in churches. I won't go into details, uh, and um, some weird things, right? So when you think experience, I don't want you to think that, uh, but generally, what, what I mean is that like, you, you can't come into Christianity by kind of avoiding the meet and greet with Jesus, right? You can't just kind of like avoid him at the door, sneak in the back, and then just be a Christian without ever really knowing and experiencing who Jesus is, right? That would be pointless. That would be means The whole basis of Christianity is that we have met Christ and that we love him, right? And we'd follow him to the death, whatever it costs, because he is everything to us. That's the whole basis of Christianity. And you try to get around that experience of uh, repentance, and knowing Jesus and, and, and having fellowship with him, then it just, it just won't work, right? It doesn't work. It's impossible. It's not real. It's fabricated. It's not an anchor. And so there's a, a born again, knowing Jesus, stepping into eternal life with Christ experience that we must encounter. Now, ours is probably not going to look like John's, right? John, when he's saying, I physically heard him, my eyes, my real eyes saw him. It wasn't just a spiritual thing. I was there. Now, for most of us in here, if I pulled you, you probably haven't physically seen Jesus yet, right? That's true pretty much about everyone. But um, there will come a day when we do see him. But for now, there's still an experience with hearing and seeing that is spiritual. And I think it's important to point this out. First uh, Peter 1.8 explains it like this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now See him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, 
I love that line. That is our true experience right there. We haven't seen him, but we love him. We don't see him now, but, but we have this faith inside of us, this joy inside of us in Christ that is so hard to explain and full of glory, and it is amazing, right? And so that's the experience I'm talking about. You can't get life in Christ any other way. It's meeting Christ. We have this fellowship with him, um, which is so important and something to consider as you consider your faith and who Christ is for you. Uh, thirdly, let's look at uh, verse three. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that um, you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, he says, basically, these things that we've seen, that we've heard, that we've touched, that were made manifest, we proclaim these things to you so that we might have fellowship. And our fellowship, be reminded, is with the Father and with the Son. And so there's a few things going on right here. But basically, my third point is life in Christ produces fellowship. It creates this fellowship that we otherwise wouldn't have apart from believing the gospel in Jesus Christ. And there's a few different layers of this fellowship. Let's talk about it. One is fellowship with the Father and with the Son. I know the fellowship, maybe, maybe you think of like Lord of the Rings, like the fellowship of the ring, it's kind of a, maybe an uncommon word. Okay, they use fellowship. Basically, it's like a, it's a friendship, right? It's a commonality. It's a sharing of interests and desires, etc. Okay, so what fellowship is, it's a deep sense of communal friendship, if you will. It's nothing to do with hobbits. Um, but... He says that our fellowship is with the Father and in, in, in the Son. It's with God, right, is what he's saying. He's putting the Father and the Son together, not to neglect the Holy Spirit, but to once again show the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, and what he's saying is that fellowship is, is, is real, right? We, we've entered in and we proclaim that to you so that you could join us in this fellowship we have with God. I think it's such an important question to answer because we're really good in churches about talking about all these things from the Bible that we should do and giving no practicals on how to do it, right? It's like, hey, that's great. I understand. You told me I should do that. I should know God. Awesome. How do I do that, right? It's like, a, you know, it's, and I'm probably going to even do that right now. I'm not even trying to because it's so, you know, whatever. But I would say, to, to boil it down to what I mean with fellowship with God is uh, when we talk about this relationship with God, right? Like what happens in a relationship with your spouse or your friend or your brother or sister or your parents? What happens is that, one, there's communication, real, genuine communication, not ethereal, spiritual communication, but real, genuine communication. So we believe that as we pray, we talk, even out loud or in our minds, to God that he hears us. And we also believe that as we read his word by his grace, uh, that he actually speaks to us through, through his word. Actually, really speaks to us. No one, I wouldn't say no one, most of us probably aren't gonna experience an audible voice from God. It has happened in the text very clearly. I've had people tell me they've heard. I don't know. I haven't. But either way, we know that mainly and ideally, right, God is speaking through his word to us that we might know him. What else happens in a relationship? Well, you, you do learn things about them. Once again, reading the words is also that option. And then also you really get to, to know them as a person more. This also happens is with our fellowship with God. If you felt like, I don't know, I think I'm a Christian, but I haven't talked with God in, I don't know, ever, you know, that might be something to start trying to do. I don't say that tongue-in-cheek, I'm serious, right? Like, uh, I think it's so easy for us to just go weeks and not even acknowledge that God is real or exists unless we're sitting in these chairs on Sunday morning, right? But there's a true fellowship, and John is saying, listen, I want you so bad, I want this truth to connect, I want this experience 
in the real Christ to happen so that you can be invited into this fellowship that we have with the Father and the Son because it's so good. Now this layer goes deeper. Not only do we have our fellowship with the Father and Son, but our fellowship with the family of God, right? So as God becomes our Father, we get brothers and sisters. And so we now have fellowship with the people of God, this commonality, this union and true friendship. Um, and so it's the inevitable kind of fall that happens, right? It's, it's uh, basically from that to this. So because of this happens, because we've entered in the family of God, we naturally are gonna have fellowship with the people of God. It's inevitable. Um, and so this fellowship with God produces fellowship with other people. But here, here's the deal. Because we share the greatest commonality that any human being could ever share, which is that we have fellowship with the Father, right? So we, we know God, we have fellowship with him. So because as Christians we share that together, we have the deepest possible connection that anyone could ever have, the deepest possible fellowship. And so what I mean by that is your relationship with a, another Christian is more rich and full and deep than it is with one of your best friends from high school who doesn't believe in the Lord. It has to be that way. Now you might say, well, I don't know, man. I can hang out with those guys for hours, but I get in the room with Christians and I'm like, man, this is awkward. It's like the air got sucked out of the room or something. I don't know, you know? Uh, and I'm not saying like, you know, we kind of uh, on every aspect of life and desire meet with people. What I mean is that the anchor that holds our relationship together is much more rich and full than it would be outside of that, right? So right now, in this very moment, if you are in Christ, you have more in common with a Christian in China than you do uh, with your barista or with maybe a coworker that you're really close friends with. You have more common. You have more in common uh, and, and more to rejoice over together and ultimately deeper fellowship. Um, and so that's important. You know, it's a rich, a deep fellowship we have with the people of God, and it's important we press into that. Even the weird ones, it's important, very important. Um, and so we, we, we miss out, we really miss out on intimacy with God uh, and on assurance when we avoid the people of God. All right, we said at the beginning, this battle for assurance of our faith is a communal project. It can't be won by itself. It can't be fought as an isolated lone ranger. If you isolate yourself from the people of God, you will doubt God. Absolutely. It's a 100% equation in your life, this will happen. And so it's important that we find a way to press into community. That's why we push things like home groups and stuff like that because it's kind of a forced way to get you there and with fellow believers. And it's so important, guys, because we miss out on that assurance when we um, don't do that. And, and so when it functions in a humble and healthy way, Christian fellowship is the strongest fellowship we can have on earth, apart from our fellowship with God, which is the anchor that holds it together. Lastly, uh, let's look at verse four. Verse four says this, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Life in Christ completes our joy or brings it to a fullness, if you will. It completes our joy. Now in this text, you'll see that he, you're probably expecting it, and if you have a King James, it will say this, but you're probably saying I'm writing this for your Joy. That's a kind of the natural flow I would think of, right? Because he's doing something for the joy of others. But he uses the term our. 
Uh, and there's been some debate about this. It's kind of one letter off in the Greek. It could go either way. But most people would say now that we have enough manuscripts to say it's probably our joy that's being completed. You could take our in a few different ways because he says we are writing these things. So maybe it's our as in those who are present writing. Maybe our means, you know, those who are present writing plus anyone who's reading. So like all our joy, right? And I would say con- contextually, I would say that the latter is probably the, the most biblical and faithful uh, translation, which is that John is not only saying our joy of those who are writing and producing this content, but also our joy of those who are reading and uh, really enjoying this content, right? Like for us, even 2,000 plus years later, we are actually reading these letters. And, and so uh, almost 2,000, maybe that math was a little off depending on you know how that works. Either way, uh, it's our joy is being completed. Now, there's a few things I want to share about this, okay? So what John is saying is that sharing the good news of Jesus Christ gives him and others joy. That's the equation. And not just joy, but fullness of joy, complete joy, which is echoing John, the gospel of John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I've come to give you joy and basically fullness of joy, right? Complete joy. And so John is saying that in sharing this good news of who Christ is and this anchor that we have in doing this, that it's producing joy within himself for sharing it and within others for hearing it and believing it. And so I bet if I were to ask everyone in here, most of us would fall in the category that I fall into often, which is this. Uh, There's mainly two ways that you could evangelize or, or simply tell people about Jesus Christ. Uh, which is what we're called to do, right? It's very clear in the Bible that we're called to go even to all the nations and preach the gospel and see people saved. And um, if you spend any time as a Christian, you may fall into this camp, which the first one is, um, I evangelize because I feel shame and guilt, right? I talk to other people about Jesus, maybe, because I know I'm supposed to, and if I don't do it, I'm not being a good Christian, right? So you kind of deal with this maybe inner turmoil of, being embarrassed to talk about it and feeling ashamed that you don't talk about it, right? And then maybe that will drive you every once in a while to overcome that and, and share something. But by and large, you feel, uh, you feel ashamed. I mean, think about it. We live in a culture that doesn't want to hear it, right? Doesn't want to hear, it's not, not everyone's just itching to hear you talk about Jesus Christ, okay? A lot of people get very angry when you talk about Jesus Christ. That's just how it works because you promised it would be that way, right? If you're anything like me, you're just, you don't want conflict. I, I, just, I just like to just roll in my life with no conflict. There's no speed bumps. I'm just doing my thing, okay? You know, if people offend me, whatever, it's cool. I'm just going to keep going so I don't have to deal with it. Uh, but you can't do that, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's offensive. And I can go on and on about maybe some of the reasons you feel maybe ashamed or embarrassed. But at the end of the day, a lot of us are driven to share the gospel because we feel guilty. We know we need to. So there's a good sense of duty, which I appreciate and I think is good, no matter how you feel. But... Um, we feel this obligation and this shame and that kind of drives us. Now, the other way is joy-driven evangelism. So instead of this guilt-driven evangelism, we have joy-driven evangelism, which says, I just like doing it, right? Like I have joy in Christ and his resurrection and my fullness of life and my anchor and my assurance. I have so much joy in that that it is my joy to share that with others, right? And that's a whole different world. Look at me. You do not have to be a scholar. You do not have to be articulate. You do not have to know Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. You do not have to know all of these things to share the gospel. You know what you need? A true experience 
with Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ, fellowship with God the Father, joy in him. That's all you need. And talk about it, right? Like that, that I want us to be free to really share our faith in the way that God intended us to share our faith. Look at me. You are not being commanded by a brutal taskmaster to share the faith of Jesus Christ. Rather, you are being graciously invited into the joy by a gracious Savior to talk about what he has done for you. When you're reading the New Testament, you see all these people that have like a, you know, maybe this really bad ailment, like they have leprosy or they have, uh, deem, they're possessed by demons and all these things. What happens, right? By and large, Jesus will heal them. And then after that, he goes, hey, please don't tell anybody. Now he did that because it was the whole timing thing of him, you know, being crucified, etc. But they disobeyed anyways, right? They're like, no, I gotta go tell people. Every once in a while, he'd say, go tell what I've done for you. But um, the point is that there's this natural response when Jesus rescues that just gives us joy to do it, right? Like we want to do it. It's this joy that overflows. And that is how we find joy in sharing the gospel despite all the things that come with it, all the dangers, all the turmoil, all of the, the shame from our culture, etc. It doesn't matter because it makes you joy. It completes your joy. So once again, I mean, what assurance and happiness, true, real, lasting, not fleeting happiness and joy you and I miss out on because we do not talk about Christ and what he's done for us. We miss out on it. And then we wonder why we we don't believe or really know if we're in Christ or doubting if we're in Christ. We don't talk about it. We don't share it. It's so life-giving. And if you're afraid you're gonna lose relationships or something, just remember, remember true True fellowship with people comes in true fellowship with Christ together. And so um, if people hate us because we told them about what Jesus has done for us, I'm not forcing them to make a decision. Right? I'm just telling them what God has done. Uh, and if they're going to hate me for that, you know, it's, uh, it's worth it. It hurts, but it's worth it. Anyways, so those are my four things. I, I want to, in closing... Um, I want to just give us a few uh, applications uh, in this whole, really this whole series, even this message, but really this whole series as we pray together that God would help us as we walk through 1 John and encourage us in our faith and anchor us in our faith. There's some things I want you to consider uh, doing. The first thing is listen to the words in 1 John and allow them to examine you honestly and then push you towards Christ. John's when he's writing in 1 John, he's uncomfortable, okay? Like I said, there's no gray area with John. He's gonna say, listen, if you do this and you say this, you're a liar. But if you do this and say this, you're in Christ. It's basically like like that black and white. And and it's easy to kind of shuck those things off or not wanna listen in, right? Because we don't wanna deal with conviction and it's messy when God calls us out in his word. But we need to listen and press in to those things. Second thing is, is... when God's speaking to us in that way, don't, don't resist, right? Don't resist, but allow God to do these things in our hearts because that's how we are anchored. That's how we are changed and made more like Christ. Let him expose you um, because it is from there that Jesus can really pastor us and what it means to have fellowship with him and believe in him. And, and then we don't have to go on pretending like it, there's something real there when there's, when there's not or pretend like, you know, uh, that we got it all together and we're doing just spiritually fine and we're really not, right? Because that's a dead end road and we know that. Second thing is, is pray that God would do this work in you because 
we, we can't do it. We can't produce this in ourselves, right? Like you don't have the ability to have assurance. The more you try on your own accord, the, the more you're going to doubt, you know? Uh, and so just, just pray, God, do a work in me. Make me uh, assured. Make me happy in you. Give me joy so I can move forward in obedience in this life. Uh, and just honestly, just, just don't check out. Be honest. Let it be uncomfortable. Let it be a little painful uh, because the word of God is like that. And I would say here too, the caution I would give is when we're kind of examining ourselves and going through these things, it's easy for us to focus um, either too much on ourselves or not enough on ourselves. And what I mean by that is we got to both look at ourselves and say, what's going on here, Lord? Let me examine myself. God, what are you teaching me? What are you telling me? And then we also have a tendency to just focus only on ourselves. And if we don't focus on Christ, right, we'll never have true joy and assurance in what he's done. We got to look to Jesus, look to Jesus, because it is in him, not us, that we find uh, assurance. And so um, I would just like to pray for us and uh, just take this time to just take a moment and just ask God to do that in this series. Um, and it's going to be a lot of just kind of cool things. We, just a lot of good truths we're going to cover about why we're anchored. What has Christ done for us that makes us so positive uh, that we have it right? Uh, and so let's just pray to that. And you can bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for this time to uh, dive into your word and to just hear what you have to say. And God, I just acknowledge the powerlessness of any preacher or teacher that would try to produce something in people. Because it just can't, it can't happen, God. It's got to be you. And so for those of us who... who um, or maybe struggling with doubt and, and just, you know, maybe at one point felt like for sure we knew you and just kind of felt like we don't want to even get to know you. We, don't, we can't pray, spend time with you. All these things are difficult. God, I pray for the believer that is just struggling to believe. And we echo the, the, the prayer in the book of Mark, which says, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. <laughs> help our unbelief. God, we miss out on so much joy so much fruitful labor for the kingdom, so much happiness because we don't believe. And so God, would you cut through our hearts and would you help our unbelief? And God, for those who don't believe in you at all, maybe they're clear about that, maybe they're not sure, but they're really not in you, Jesus, I pray for that precious gift of fellowship with you. God, would you help? Not just help, but God, would you awaken uh, us to spiritual life that we might have fellowship with you? God, be our anchor, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the resurrected Savior and King whom we love. God, would you help us here to be bold, to be strong, to have assurance, to be anchored as we battle this battle together in the family of God. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.